Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 2 of the Whakapapa Effect where we delve into understanding how and why Whakapapa affects who we are today and also who we might be in the future. Whakapapa being our ancestry, genealogy, experiences, the upbringings we've had and the environments we've been exposed to which all contribute to, they do not define, they contribute to the way we think, how we behave, how we conduct ourselves and ultimately how we design our lives. And this is a very special episode, my first proper podcast episode I think and it's been renamed, (laughs) rebranded. Because of the manuhiri that I have with me, the guest I have with me today, uh, none other than, I'll get her to introduce herself soon, um, but this is now going to formally be known as The Ho Show <laughs> until we finish. Yeah, just the R rating there for anybody out listening to us. No, it's good. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, inside joke that we might be able to share with you. One day. Yeah, maybe in this podcast, maybe in a future one. <laughs> uh, but joining me today is Leonie Kins. Kia ora, kia ora e hoa, kia ora e te whanau. How are you doing? Yeah, uh, really good. Haven't seen you in a while. No, I, I can't even remember the last time I saw you, saw you. Like we talk and we like message and we tag each other in crazy <laughs> things and we send each other crazy things, but seeing each other, it's been a while. Yeah. And so a little bit of fuck up, up, a little bit of backstory to get us started for the show today is that I used to work and used to have a show called The Fuck Up, up Effect at Moana Radio. And Leonie, or Oni, as we like to call her. Uh, <laughs> one of one of the things they like to call me, yeah. Um, was one of the announcers here, but also more than that, just cool person to be around, bounce ideas off and actually helped me a lot to develop my show and just the ability to wānanga, share stories or different types of content to try mm. out and even reformat the show for it to have a bit more of a flow to it. And so that's a little bit of my experience of Oni. Yeah, and it brings me to a funny story actually, which was the first day I actually met you. Uh, we were having this oh. staff hui, uh, and um, there was this big announcement to be made, we, and we had no idea what. One of our uh, kaimahi had just left, and so we knew that had happened, but we didn't know what was happening after that. And Hannah walks in, and I had only maybe 24 hours before that seen your video talking about your Pākehā whakapapa and your Māori one, and so I kind of went on this Hana rabbit hole on your content. I was like, wow, this is really cool. Next day, I turn up to Mahi, and they're like, oh, we've hired Hana for social media, and I'm sitting there going, excuse me, that's my job. <laughs> and so I'm having a little bit of a crisis of conscience going, oh, no, don't be that guy. Don't be jealous. This is okay. Your job is safe. <laughs> and, yeah, that was my first instance of you. I walked out with someone. I was like, oh, no, I feel like I'm about to get fired here. <laughs> But uh, no, it worked out well. It worked out well. We, we both had a job here at the end of the day. Did I do any social media? Uh, no, <laughs> no, not that I can recall. <laughs> so my job was safe. But it's just like in walks this content creator, this Māori content creator. And I'm like, my official title at the time was online content director. That's how I got to work at Moana Radio in the first place. Mm. And so as the online content director, you see a Māori content creator walk in who's now working here and you're thinking, oh no, this isn't going to be good. But lucky there's enough mahi around here for all of us 
to be work. So good. Hey, is there another announcement after this one? <laughs> <laughs> I lose my job. <laughs> yeah. Who else wants my job? No, we've got some bangata here out there sniffing around. I'm going to be taking over soon enough. So I've got a few more years here. I don't think I ever told you that story. No, like, this oh, is no. the first time I'm hearing about it as well. So good to know. A little bit of insecurity <laughs> came around me. I was a little bit, oh no, not good. <laughs> oh, well, that explains a lot. No, okay. <laughs> I was nice. I was nice. I was just like, oh no, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> but it was good. Itifano's spoiler alert, it was great. Yeah. Well, hey, it's eventuated to only being the only choice for my first Manuhirim first guest on the show. Um, and our different ideas and dreams that we've hashed up over the last three years. But would you be able to share a little bit more about this life that you've created for yourself? Moana Radio is a part of it, but mm-hmm. what else would you say makes up your life? My life has been a series of just like zigzags and curves. Nothing has ever been a straight line. Um, I went to uni, did it for a year, dropped out, went back, did it for another year, dropped out, and then realised by my third year, it two papers away from graduating, it wasn't for me at all and I just left and never looked back. But I had picked up over the years skills, random weird skills that were absolutely useless on their own and kind of had no value on their own until I found media and all this kind of stuff where all those useless skills come into really great value at the end of the day. Like I could edit a music video, I could write a script, I could do all these useless things that I thought were useless. But once you've got the right job and the right channel... They all come together and that's where my confidence grew. I've always been interested in media. I studied film, I studied communications, I've studied all those kinds of things, but the university environment wasn't for me. More of a hands-on kind of person. So uh, my life is just a series of just jumping into projects, giving it a go and then moving on to the next thing. So I think Moana Radio is one of the longest gigs I've ever had, to be honest. And it's really just picking and choosing what I want. Picking and choosing the kaupapa I want to be involved in, picking and choosing the mahi I want to do. And I've never let the scarcity of finances be my driving force for anything. The one time I did it, I regretted it. I worked at a nine to five in an office three years and I just mentally checked out of my life in those three years. So learnt my lesson to not ever do that again. So I've only ever picked up projects that appeal to me. And to anyone else looking, it looks like, what does she do? What does she even do? <laughs> Lots of things. <laughs> We're still figuring that out too. Yeah, we're just trying to forge a path. I've I've been involved with lots of professionals and lots of different industries, but it's always come back to comms, to media, to communicating with people out there, which is weird because I've got severe social anxiety. (laughs) Anyway, it's another story. Oh, very cool. And just before I ask you questions about what you've just shared, you also have a show. Yes, I do. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, so I co-host the Drive Show with Aubrey Hughes, who is a big radio guy, been around for a while, started at Ngaitahu, has been through, and I'm sure a lot of people from Iwi Radio recognise his name. Uh, so we do the Drive Show at Moana Radio, it's from 3 to 7, and it's just an entertainment, mm. an infotainment show where we just keep it local, we talk about what's going on with the whānau here, we talk about things they need to know, try to hustle up, I guess, passion about certain things, local issues, local politics, mm. all those things. So we push that a lot. And where can people tune in? Uh, you can tune in online. We are on the Fatty Kōrero app, which was beautiful. Thank you to uh, Te Ho and to Te Heku also, those brandy guys up there. You can also tune in 98.2 FM on radio and also anywhere online. iHeartRadio, 
1440 AM for anybody out there who's still on the AM frequency. Yes. We you know still, who you are. Yeah. <laughs> Nana, Koro, Auntie. Yeah. 1440 AM. So there's lots of different ways you can get a hold of us. But yep. most people are just catching us online these days. Very cool. And you also haven't shared. Like we're all about embracing and sharing the different kaupapa that we're on. What would you say roller skating means to you? Oh, <laughs> right. <'Cause laughs> right. So roller skating is a big, big, it's a big part of my life. It, it came to me in 2012. I was about 30 years old when I discovered it. A little bit over the hill, but that's all right. I got there, uh, but I discovered it at a time in my life we had um, nothing. I was overweight, I was depressed, I was uh, kind of floundering in my life, and it was just needed something just to take my I'm not a gym girl, I'm not really a running girl, I don't really like formal kind of gym settings or anything like that. So I found something that was both a challenge and something that I could really do to get some exercise and some fun. It was terrible, terrible at it for like 12 months. I was that guy among all these shining superstars that was that fell over at the side of his shadow, you know, that was me for 12 months straight. And I, I had to eat a lot of humble pie to get there. Actually, even through all of that, it was still a huge part of a uh, confidence builder for me because mm. every time I put the skates on, I could do something different. I could sense my body getting stronger. I could sense my body getting more intuitive with what I wanted it to do. And so I was building a relationship with my body through skating and I learned to love it and all the things that it could do. So 10 years later, playing roller derby, I'm looking after kids, teaching them how to skate, doing a lot of community skate projects. Uh, we're putting together a little skate show, Te Reo Māori skate show with our kids that we uh, teach. So skating is probably about 80% of my life. When I'm not here, I'm there. So yeah, that's, that's how big a part of my life it is. And my daughter also skates as well. That's our thing that we do together to exercise together, to spend time with each other, and just something that really fun that we can do together. Such a big part of her life that she didn't even remember to talk about. <laughs> yeah, just I know. so many things. I know, like, because I'm here, I've got my radio head yeah. on, like, do talk about radio. And now, so just trying to paint a picture of who Oni is or what's important to her, and then we'll colour that in maybe over the next episode or maybe we'll need another one. Probably most definitely need another we'll one. We'll see, we'll see. <laughs> the whole show will be a show on its own maybe. <laughs> Just FYI final ho show is Hana and Oni show, right? <laughs> I just want to clarify. Oh yeah. <laughs> we didn't explain at all what it meant. It's just like, Hana and the Oni show. We were just like, let's do the show. It was kind of like a love song to midnight or a show about um, sex positivity and all this kind of stuff, mm. all the hang-ups that we have around that. So that, that's, that's where that comes that's from. That's where that comes from. And also the naming specifically is because the show that Leonie's on at Moana Radio <laughs> is called the A&O show. So Orbs and Oni, the first letters of their names. Aye. So we were like, oh, oh, if <laughs> yeah. we made a show yeah. together. Maybe, oh, 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 show? Yeah. I was like, excuse me, you're missing the best one. <laughs> the ho show. I was like, oh, man, one day we're going to get that on air. Yeah, and so this could be the origins of it. Could be. Could be, <laughs> Fano, if you've got any questions. <laughs> if you want us to carry it on, I'm keen. So be sure to send that through. You know how to get through uh, to me. And also, you have some social media channels. And you're don't quite follow me on anything. <laughs> Please don't follow me on anything. I'm not on any social media. Oh, okay. Um, but back to 
the kōrero you're sharing about your pathway, especially with university, mm-hmm. a great pathway and option for so many people. Totally. But do you think it was worthwhile for you to go there still? Totally. I learned I learned a lot about me. First of all, I learned a lot about my style of learning, my style of even socialising at university. Because mm. I had come from a small Māori school where it was just 54 of us and we were all related to each other. And so then we went to an intermediate where I was put into the bilingual class where there was 32 of us and we were all related to each other. And so, you know, it was just a series of little bubbles until I got to university and then suddenly it's just like, we don't care about you, we don't care if you come to class, we don't care if you hand in your assignments, we don't care if you don't have your money, we don't care, we don't care anything about you. I mean, not to say that there wasn't support there, there is, but just not what I was used to, yeah. the style I was used to. There was a couple of classes there that really got me through, Kaupapa Māori classes that we highlighted that a lot of the Māori students were failing in a lot of them because we didn't quite relate to a lot of the content. And so in came these things called Kaupapa Māori tutorials where all the Māori students from the lecture would come together and we'd start applying the lessons to our everyday life, to being on the marae, to being at the kohanga, to being with our aunties, and then all of us started to pass through that course. So that was a huge eye-opener for me, that we had to ourselves come up with our own way to get through the course together, and we did. I was also um, a single mum at the time as well, Mm. So and I was also working. So I was working a job, I was looking after a child on my own, I was like paying all the bills, and I was living away from my family support. So uni was just kind of one more stressor on top of a whole bunch of stresses going on in my life and it was the cut the fat I had to cut out because it was like the one thing that wasn't really bringing me any anything Mm. I could learn all of that in a book my very first class on my very first day of university we had Tainui Stevens in he came to do a lecture and the very first thing he said to us was you don't need a degree to work in tv I was like sitting there and was like well thanks for that (laughs) It could have told me that six months ago yeah. after I paid $3,000, but it was an eye-opener as well. So you're like, it didn't need to be there. If I wanted yeah. to work in media, if I wanted to work in film, I didn't need to be at university to do it. And where do you think the confidence, if you could call it that, came from for you to leave, but then go back, but then also with two papers to go, I have a very similar experience right. with that, <laughs> with my university ex- yeah. journey. I don't know if confidence is the right word. That's why I keep coming back to it. But for me, it was breaking point. <laughs> it was a breaking point in my mental health that came severe, sudden, and fast. And it was when I figured out that I had been diagnosed with depression. I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, and so my mental illness kind of took the front seat from that point onwards. And so it wasn't so much about confidence as if you don't leave, <laughs> you are going to end up in a full mental breakdown and possibly in hospital. So. Yeah. Not confidence more so is self-preservation. Okay. It became a a dark place to yeah. be. And it wasn't the university itself. It was just all the things going on at the time. But I yeah. realised uni's not where I need to be. Mm. I picked up a job and started working pretty much the next week. Yeah. Like working on a TV show. Man, I can't even remember what it's called. Uh, it was the, one of the first shows that ever came on Māori television. It was wow. about mu- musicians, local musicians. It was filmed at the Mount with my mate Sasha. And we just filmed that. And because we were flatting together at the mountain and stuff, so I realised I don't need to work in a studio. I need to work in Auckland. I can work at the Mount. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. And we did that for a couple of years. That was yeah. awesome. Oh, man, what was the name of the show? <laughs> Roots Music. Roots Music. It was way, way back in the day, in the very early days of Mighty Television. 
Very cool. Very cool. And you mentioned the breaking point and what you were going through being diagnosed with depression, PTSD. I don't think I quite understand it probably as well as I could or should, and especially in how to be a support person or totoko, friends or whanau who would be going through it. Like when I think about different moments in my life that have been hard or where I've felt like I've been in a dark place, I don't know how to, what am I trying to say? I'm like, I don't know if I would call it being depressed, but then I don't know how to. I guess if you haven't had depression, I don't think you'd be able to recognise it. And yeah. it's more than just being sad because people are like, why are you depressed? There's no reason. There's no yeah. reason why nothing bad has to happen for you to be depressed because it's yeah. really just a lack of chemicals going into your brain. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think when it comes to understanding what depression is, you really have to sometimes not trust your brain because your brain mm -hmm. is also telling you, not depressed you're just a bad person you're not depressed you're just a lazy person mm. you're not depressed you're just never going to get it together you're not you're so your brain will lie to you about what's happening and it will convince you you're not sick it will convince you you're just a very very bad person so you can be sad but also at the same time your brain is telling you really mean things mm. <laughs> so I think for me that's how I recognize that I've got bad yeah you're being mean to me <laughs> so that's how I do it and Really, I just ride the wave. Yeah, That's all I can do. Ride the wave and be supported and make sure people around me know what's going on. Mm. And for you, what does that support look like? Because sometimes for me, if I'm going through whatever it is, support looks like just give me space. Yeah. I'm, I'll figure it out. I yeah. know things are going to be okay. Don't tell me things are going to be okay because I already know. Mm. I just need to feel the feels right now. Yeah. Um, but then in other times, I'm like... Me. Yeah, I know. We're fickle, aren't we? I know. I'm the same. I'm like, leave me alone, but oh, I need attention. Uh, I'm the same. Give me space, uh, but check in periodically and just to make sure I'm not going nose diving down to some rabbit hole. Uh, but I've been told by my therapist, therapist that I self-heal. It's a mechanism, I guess, trauma response, whatever you want to call it. I self-heal, and so that's, that's something I've learned how to do over my life. So I was just like, give me some space. I'll work my way yep. through it. And like I said, riding that wave, just letting it pour over you and, and riding it out. Yeah. And hopefully you get there at the end. <laughs> that hasn't <laughs> led me wrong yet. But support for me, just making sure that whānau around me, I reach out now. I never used to. Mm. Like I'm feeling down, I'm having a dark day. And by that I've taught my daughter how to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. She reaches out now when she's having a dark day. So always yeah. reach out, I think. But at the same time, like, don't tell people I'm here for you whatever you need like, because that's just empty for me that's empty yeah. don't tell me that I already know you're there for me I already know that I can call you if I need you like that goes without saying because mm. you're in my life so I think just give people their space mm. ask them if they're right do you need a bowl of wine do you need anything no I'm good yeah then leave them and just another part I had on this kaupapa is that with the amazing benefits and goodness that social media brings like with everything, there's the good stuff, the bad stuff, the like cringy stuff. But some posts that I've seen in some accounts too, it's as if depression and anxiety are being like romanticized mm. or people feel one sad bit of sadness and then mm. they're like, oh, I'm depressed. Yeah, and they all or, suddenly they're in a Taylor Swift music video. And yeah. it gets diluted, I feel. Yeah. 
and it's like even for myself, that's why I'm like, oh, I've been in a dark place, but I don't know if I'd call it depression. Maybe it was, I mm. don't know. But especially seeing that and... Yeah, I, I do notice that there is, especially with Instagram, there's Insta therapy and these Instagram therapists and there's all these like aspirational quotes and all these things on there. There's so much out there. Yeah. And in, some of it is good, some of it's not so great. But in terms of the romance, I'm not really sure if it's a romanticizing of it, more so as it's um, social media has become more of a space where you can speak and talk about uh, what you're going through. When I was maybe a teenager, there was no way we could have spoken about it so freely on social media or freely with our friends. Depression, like, are you a cuckoo? Like, you know what I mean? All these things would have come out. So I think now people are starting to accept that a lot of us have depression, a lot of us have anxiety, a lot of us have post-traumatic stress, a lot of us have ADHD, a lot of us have autism. And now we are all starting to recognize what these things are instead of internalizing it and making it part of our own personalities. We're educating ourselves. We know now who we are with these neurodiversions. And that's been a really cool learning for me as I've learned about myself more and more and deeper and deeper over the last couple of years is how those things used to be part of ourselves that we would try height. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, there's yep. such a huge stigma around us, like totally. you're having a bad day. No, yep. you're not. A, you're not allowed. Men crying? <laughs> are you gay? Like, you know what yeah. I mean? There are lots of emotions we are not allowed to express, yeah. and we're only just starting to learn that we are actually allowed to express those feelings, and that uh, in some cases it's a safe place to do it. Others, not so much. Social media is a double-edged sword. You can get a lot of support and find a whole community of people that can support you, but you can also find a really dark corner of that place that yeah. just wants you to do something bad to yourself for mm-hmm. just shits and giggles. So double-edged sword, you have to be really quite discerning about where you're sharing what you're sharing and who with, and how you're going to respond if somebody's not going to be nice back to you because yeah. them's the breaks. Know what I mean? But I'm finding, especially Twitter, I don't know what's up with Twitter, but it seems like all the Māori on Twitter have all got some kind of ADHD. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. I'm saying that a lot of them have been diagnosed with ADHD. And I just wonder if Twitter just kind of attracts the, those kinds of thinkers. Mm. And so you have to like maybe look at TikTok and look at Facebook and what kind of neurodivergencies they attract. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Twitter's for me because you can shoot out <laughs> 300 characters of your pain and everybody's like, 100%. I hate that feeling too. So you get all this like good affirmation coming through. You can just be a grumpy jerk if you want to. Mm. It's just the whole, like, as long as you're not a mean jerk. Yeah. You can be grumpy. You can vent. You can rant. You can talk about whatever National's been up to or ACT or Māori Party or whoever you don't like. There's a community there for mm. you. <laughs> so I like it. And those ultimately are a form of expression. Absolutely. Which is so healthy. And a lot of the time because you're taught that it's a bad thing to feel sad yeah. or to feel disappointed if something didn't work out or if you missed out, you tried uni and it didn't work for you. Yeah. Like That's what I kind of had hanging over my head was that there's this wall at my nan's house with everyone's <laughs> degrees. <laughs> There's the generation above us, and my dad, his yeah. one's up there, my nan, kōro, aunties, uncles. It's on the main wall in the living room, and then there's a new one with the cousins. Right. And my brother's on there, and, you know, cousins on there. And then it's like... <laughs> You're just going to have to put a photo of you with your <laughs> microphone. 
Tune in at yeah, with my social media, like, <laughs> with my book, with your book. Hello, <laughs> I think that's just as cool. You've got yeah. books, and so proud of my father because, especially the generation above, that was when there was a big push to try and get more Māori into university, and that was the pathway that was being showcased yeah. for our people. Yeah, and like we mentioned earlier, a really cool place and a lot of opportunities for our people there. But if you're not that, yeah. very easy to assume there's something wrong with you, which Absolutely. is what I thought and what I kind of lived with and battled with for a while. So I was like, well, this is what everyone else is doing. I, I try. Yeah. <laughs> but like, is, it's off. There's something not. This is not quite. the place for me. Yeah. yeah. I come, I'm the same. I come from a family of complete eggheads, <laughs> achievers, overachievers, whatever, mm. even prefects, head boys, head girls, all the way back to Ngaraomua. Like, honestly, you've, you, the whakapapa <laughs> is strong there. And so, you know, you can like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't quite finish that. <laughs> she's like, how did you go? Oh, yeah, no, I didn't finish that, Nan. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. You, it's just, but at the end of the day, I think they're just happy that you're happy. I think at the end of the day, they'd rather me be here being silly on the radio than being, I don't know, completely just shut down from depression and everything and trying to make other people happy. Yeah. To live up to other people's expectations. It's so hard. And have you struggled with that? Or it sounds like with some of the kōrero you've shared that it's just been a decision you've made and you've done it. But yeah. Has it, so has it been easy? I, I own the decision and I'm very open about it. But I, I also encourage people. Since way back? Yeah. Oh, since it happened, they're like, well, you need, I've lucked out. Like, I, I left. I dropped out. Like, I don't try and play it up. Like, yeah. you got a degree, right? Like, no, I've got an almost degree. <laughs> like, two papers away, but it's pretty much a degree. Like, yeah. I'll know as much as that guy does. But I couldn't do it. I just couldn't bring myself to go back and face another Two semesters of stress and worry and all of that. And I was like, I just don't want to be here. I just don't want to be there. And so I left and I have never looked back. Like people say to me, just come and finish your degree. It's only two papers. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good with my life. I'm good with the decision I made. But I still encourage my young nieces and nephews, whoever, to go to uni. If that's where you want to go and you want to pursue that, go for it. Because there are avenues there for everybody, just not for us. Yeah. <laughs> just not for us. No. Yeah. Oh, and that's the beauty of it is that there are some professions or some careers where university is the only way you can yeah. do that. Yeah. And so if that's the pathway, then by all means, you know, yeah. choose it. We can put, put supports around you so that you get the most out of it and you succeed in that way. But then now with how much technology is advanced and how much more digital everything's becoming. There are so many pathways. University could be the path you take, but you could just go to the University of YouTube and Google if that's the kind of life you want or that's the kind of mahi you want to do. I think it was a scene in Goodwill Hunting that kind of just solidified it for me. There's a character from Harvard getting burned by Goodwill Hunting, and he's talking about everything you just rattled off to make my friend feel bad. That cost you $120,000. I picked up for 60 cents with a library card at the library. So there's those kinds of things at play. Obviously, if you want to be a doctor, you've got to go to uni, you've got to study, you've got to train. But if you want to work in TV or media, there's courses you can do six-month, one-year courses that aren't three-year, four-year degrees that aren't going to, like, suck the life out of you. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, disclaimer. Uni's great. <laughs> just not for you. Just not for me. <laughs> disclaimer, it's just not for me. Oh, funny. Oh, something that I've 
thought about often, and I think I've seen it in different content creators stuff, is how it's become a trend to be in like an entrepreneur or be self-employed and do follow that kind of mm. path. But just in the same way that uni isn't for everyone, like that's not for everyone too because that's a whole different set of skills. Yeah. Like just self-awareness. What would you say, because it's so important, like you tried uni, found out it didn't work, but you still collected some awesome things for your kitty and your journey. Own your decisions and it's led you to this kind of life where you've picked and chosen different things and you've left other job opportunities, connections, relationships in all different layers um, that weren't for you. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that well or authentically if you don't know yourself. Absolutely. And so how would you encourage someone? Because I think everyone's like, oh, yeah, I know myself. Even <laughs> me, all the time, I'm like, yeah, I know me. And then on the flip side, I'm like, I'm learning so much every day. Yeah. So how would you, or what kind of advice would you have for people who willingly, unwillingly are on that journey? Oh, I think you always, number one thing is always check yourself. There's always that opportunity to ask yourself, am I the asshole? Is it me? Because if you're not asking yourself that question ever, then it's you. <laughs> <laughs> then it is you. And I think that's the number one thing when people are starting out or, or making mistakes, because you're going to make lots of mistakes starting out. You're going to fumble. You're going to um, look like look silly, maybe to your friends, to, to people you're trying to reach out to. But always check in on yourself and making sure that am I being authentic? Am I uh, representing the story well? Am I representing myself well? It's always check yourself before you wreck yourself is my number one thing. And I think that way, if you do have a hapa or you do have a mistake, you can eat it humbly. Mm. That's my number one thing. Self-awareness always comes with checking in. Is yeah. it me? Is it me? Is it me? Did I do this? And when I'm angry or I'm having a real bad day or I've had a incident or conflict with someone I always ask myself that was it me did it how am I the asshole <laughs> and sometimes you can like okay yes it, it was you you did you did this thing you could have done that thing and it could have resolved itself a lot better there's times where you're like no <laughs> that was not me <laughs> so all but you have to check in always yeah. always yeah and that's the only thing I can really say be yeah. humble and have you like what does that look like for you is it a like daily thing or every time in the moment or? I just, it's an affirmation. It really is just yeah. an affirmation at the end of the day. It just, right. am I the asshole? Is it me? I've got other little affirmations that I say to myself constantly to check myself in, but they are not <laughs> good for public consumption. But they work for me. They yeah. work for me. If I say these few words to myself, I'll snap out of my thing or I will push myself forward. When it comes to post-traumatic stress, depression, it can get you into these lulls of nothing. Just no productivity, no creativity coming out of you. There's just, you're just a lump of flesh, basically, for a week, two weeks, however long that depression lasts. And I think just forgive yourself for that if that happens to you. Because for a long time, I beat myself up. How, how stupid are you? How yeah. dumb are you? How useless are you? How blah, blah, blah are you? So all those kinds of things, and you just got to get your, pick yourself back up. You get back on that horse and carry on, or on that keyboard, or on that camera, or on that microphone, whatever it is. Just get up and carry on. Dust yourself off, like Alia said. 
Let's just self love and try again. We might make a playlist based off that. <laughs> <laughs> Music is my life. <laughs> and talking about failure, such a negative connotation to it, which I dislike and detest so much because some of my best learnings, especially about myself and the chickens, have come from what well, I call them now my favourite failures, mm. which have really changed the trajectory of my life. And if had they not happened, I don't know what I'd be doing now, Who, what kind of person I'd be. Totally. Probably not very humble, I don't know. <laughs> no, always humble. Yeah. <laughs> but do you have any favourite failures? Oh, I've got lots, but I don't, like you don't consider them failures. Um, I do a lot of coaching for skating. I, I coach just normal skating. I coach roller derby skating. We coach rhythm skating. And one of the biggest things I'll do, especially for the derby uh, coaching, is the motto is, you either win or you learn. There is no failing in this. Like, we're going to go out there, we're going to either win this game or we're going to learn from this game. And so that's how you, I apply that mostly to my life. I don't see them as failures. I see them as, I know this is so cliche and it's <laughs> all very Dalai Lama-ish, but it works. It, it, putting it into perspective and reframing it, instead of calling it failure, you're calling it a learning opportunity. You've probably heard that a million times, but it does work. Yeah. Um, by seeing who you are when you lose, you know what I mean? Ooh, are you a good loser? Yeah. Are you a bad loser? Are you an introspective loser? Are you going to blame other people for yeah. your loss? What kind of loser are you? What kind of person are you when you're losing? Are you going to pull out dirty tactics? Are you going to pull out things out of your soul that you didn't know you could do? All these things are going to teach you something about you. So going out on the derby track, if we're losing by 10 points, you might do the old leg trip and stop the jammer, but <laughs> did you win? And you learned something about yourself in that moment that you win at any cost. Yeah. So there's always things to learn about yourself. Or you could be so determined to win, you do an amazing trick you didn't think that you could do. Mm. So even though you don't win, you did that amazing thing that you didn't think you could do. And yeah. so now you can walk out with confidence. So never look at it as failure. Yeah. In that way, um, my ego doesn't <laughs> get bruised. <laughs> Or just My ego stays intact yeah. that way. <laughs> oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not a loser. You're a learner. <laughs> oh, weird. Here we go. <laughs> some brilliance for your day. Well, just as you were talking before, you're like, what kind of loser are you? Hmm. How are you when you lose? And I think in some cases, or I like to think like I'm a good loser when it happens. But then in other things... It's whew, a yeah. lot of a lot of chickens happening. Nobody's a perfect loser, man. There are no. There's, we're going to have feelings about it, mm. especially if you put a lot into it, a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of labor, emotional labor. Uh, but at the end of the day, like you don't want to be that guy that's like, we only lost because Hunter did that thing, or we only lost because Orbs dropped the ball. Well, you know, you don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that yeah. guy. So I'll try Why hard not, not What's to wrong be with that guy. <laughs> Nobody likes that guy. <laughs> Nobody wants to play with that guy. Nobody wants to invite that guy onto their team. So mm. you don't want to be that guy. So learning, if you are that guy, how to stop being that guy. But but failure will teach us a lot about ourselves. Yeah. And being on the roller derby track was the number one place I learned that. Because I was the kind of person who yelled at the ref and said, bad call. Like, I was that guy. And so yeah. you're like, humble yourself. This is not cool. You're not winning in any way. You're not getting anything. You're not gaining anything from being a dickhead to the refs. So I had to train myself into not being that guy. Mm. Was it hard? 
definitely hard. And there's a few refs in the roller derby community who still won't talk to me to this day. I don't blame you guys. I don't blame you. It was a bit of a terror in my first couple of years mm. until I learned how to take failure as a learning opportunity and not as something about me, not as a something said about me, like, like well, you lost. Of yeah, your worth. Your exactly. Value. You internalize that. Oh, then I'm a loser. Yeah. I lose. Like, yeah. no, I don't want to internalize that because you wear that. That comes across into your whole it way stinks. of life. It does. And so instead of looking at it, failure as something about you, it's a learning opportunity to make you grow into a better derby player, better whoever, better human. So wise, Oni. Well, thanks. Wow. <laughs> it comes with a sage old age. <laughs> well, I'm not going to comment on that. But just at the moment, 2021, are you living the kind of life that you want? Yes. I think the kind of life I want to live has changed from the kind of life I thought I wanted to live. So you're young and you want to be like, I want to be this Rihanna rock star. I want to be beautiful. I want to date Keanu Reeves. I want to have a million dollars. Mm. These are all like little pipe dreams as a children that are unrealistic. But as you grow into what you truly value, yeah. I truly value my independence. I truly value my autonomy. I truly value all of these, like um, my whānau structure. All these things are what make me. And I'm, everything I've got, I've worked hard to get it. Mm. And I'm going to work hard to keep it. And not only are they not realistic, like they're not real. No. And especially when you're at that age, you don't even know what that means. So maybe like that's the first layer of it, but really whatever Rihanna or dating the guy or having that much money, what that represents actually on a deeper level is what you want. But because that's what everyone else is talking about. Exactly. Or that's what you see. You really, you just want love. You want happiness. You want yeah. security. And, you know, if you peel all those layers back, that's basically all I really wanted. Yeah. And so that's what I've got. I've got a job I really enjoy that I feel like it's an important job. I get to communicate with Alfano and Tauranga Moana. I get to do things that fill my soul up by teaching our kids how to skate and all, and like teaching our community how to skate. All these things might not seem big on the scale of things but to me they're exactly perfect for me very cool and when you think of the whakapapa effect what comes to mind probably my grandparents my grandparents all four of them six of them actually sorry six grandparents because of the profound effect that they've had on me and obviously learning about them I see how they got to be how they are and all down down the line, the more I learn about my tupuna, the more like, that's why I am like I am. I can't get it. Anti-authority, all kinds of re- rebels, rebellious as, like really smart, really smart, but really rebellious and really like anti-authoritarian. Like that goes back, way, way back to Ngāti Pukinga himself. So uh, the whakapapa effect comes through so strong. So strong, but especially my grandfather, Monty, all here for me, he kind of epitomizes all of the things, all of the qualities, all of the beauty of, of the whakapapa effect. Him and my grandmother, Tiriko, all here. And also my, my other Pirirako grandparents, Catholic, very proper, very, you know, sophisticated. And I've got a photo of them on their wedding day and they just look like debonair models. They're just so beautiful. So I've got these amazing grandparents with different qualities and different ahua about them that I get to encompass in my life. And I see it kind of come out every now and then. Yeah. The ngāwariness of my, of my grandmother and the, the, just the learnedness of my grandfather, the cheekiness of my koro, 
and the stoicness of my nana. So all these things come into effect. And I think I've got all those. So fuck up, up in full effect. <laughs> I might not be the CEO or the uh, director, curator of Te Papa. <laughs> it's a little shade on my sister, by the way. But, you know, I've got something special. And did you know those things about your grandparents and try to model yourself after them? Or did you find that you were like that? My grandfather. My grandfather. You're, you're the reason. Yeah. My, my grandfather, Monte, well, here, I'm, I think I'm more like him than any of my other grandparents because he was the cheeky one. He was the one that would be like poking tongues out during the karaoke. You know, he just was so funny and sweet and loving, but he was also very well respected in what he did. He was like our, our leader on our uh, marae. He had these just multifaceted types in his personality that we just adored. And so... He had the biggest, most profound effect on me, I think, because he was very much the man that showed us that we could be us. He showed us that we were okay to be these little horries from Kaidura Road. He was always loved us the way we were, and he always encouraged us to be who we were. And so we were always proud of that. We always grew up proud of being who we were, and that came directly from him. Did I did I ramble in that one? Yeah. Whenever I talk about my grandfather, I just get it really emotional. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah, you didn't answer the question at all. <laughs> <laughs> but no, because actually you did, because when you have that role model and person in your life, and then their DNA also being within you, so that gets doled up. And the cheekiness of him, I think. He used to write letters to the editor very plenty of times, at least twice a week in his life. So we've gone back and poured over all of those letters to the editor, and they are just gold <laughs> he's talking about racism and he's talking about injustice and he's talking about um just the effects of colonization in his own way and so we've got all those to show us who he was and we're all just like that and i don't know if that's because we're trying to be like him or just that's just how we all are but i'd say 98 percent of my cousins there's over 150 of us wow. are just like him so i think that's the whakapapa effect right there we yeah. fight we rebel, we, we do all those things just like our koro. It probably just like his koro, probably just like his koro. Yeah. So that all comes through really smart. So if you were to come into a family gathering of all his, <laughs> I was just about to say, I'll tell you to wear <laughs> a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> wear a helmet and, um, yeah, I don't know, prepare to laugh. It's all laughs at our, at our yeah. gatherings. Oh, that's so cool. What a legacy. You know, some whanau are known for the type of kai that mm. they have and it's always on point or they're a modako or a artsy whānau. And what a legacy for you guys and your kuroa. I'd say what would we be? An activist whānau but also an academic one as well. We were like a mixture of academic and, and activists. Yeah. My uncle John and Auntie Oreo were two of the founding members of Ngātamatoa and so you can see that whakapapa effect coming through and because then they brought that through to Te Whetu or Te Marae. And so we all grew up very political. We all grew up having hikoi. We, some hikoi wouldn't even know what we were marching for. We were all of five years old. But a lot. But we can look back on these photos and know that we were a part of that and know that we were part, our parents were a part of something like that. And so we're going to continue. So we're going off to our foreshore and see bad hikoi in there. We're going off to our te reo hikoi now because of, what our parents showed us, what their parents showed us. So activists and academics. Although after our quarter or about university, I don't think I can claim <laughs> academic. Educated. Educated. Yeah. Partially. <laughs> well, hey, yeah, university is one way you further that education. I graduated from Putireo Radio School, so yeah, there we go. 
And I'm sure this isn't a Māori phenomenon, or hopefully we'll find a more appropriate kupu, but how we think about the legacy, consciously, subconsciously, but how we contribute to it. So there you have over 150 cousins, all like your kroa, but I imagine all doing different things or your mm. own expression of it. Oh, absolutely. And all of that contributes to the legacy he created and passed on to you. Mm-hmm. It's like whether you're aware of it or not, it's happening. Absolutely. I look at all my flash cousins just to see that. You know what I mean? I've got flash cousins achieving <laughs> flash things. Like, I'm a name job, but if their surname is all here, <laughs> there we go. All kids. But... <laughs> I can see it in every single one of my cousins. And even from the ones who are working as kaiafina at the kohanga to the ones who are working as CEOs of their own businesses, we all have the same kind of outlook. We're all very much for our whanau. We're all very much for our people. We're all very proud Māori. And that all comes from him. That all comes from him. And justice is a big driver for us. Mm. Every single one of us you'll find on the picket line or on a protest line or in some kind of activism we're involved some way somehow do you feel a pressure to uphold that because the generations before you did it I wouldn't say a pressure because we all like you said do it in our own ways we all activate in our own ways some of us can be there physically doing the mahi physically uh, uh, you know all that and some of us will probably be more behind the scenes helping with the back end who knows building websites taking photos <laughs> That kind of stuff. We all do our own activism in our own way, so mm. it all. But we're all doing it. Do you and your fanonga or your fano have a system in place? Like, do you check in with each other and you're like, "Hey, you're and you're part of this organisation or this kaupapa, You have skills for what I need, or do, like, do you have a system set up where you guys can totoko each other, or is it just kind of a natural, organic kind of thing that's grown? I think it's more natural, organic, because obviously with 150 cousins, there's going to be little groupings of cousins who are close to each other and spend yeah. a lot of time supporting and living close to each other mm. too. So we have our little meru meru, our little bubbles within our whānau units um, that check in on each other. We don't know what's going on all the time with every whānau. But it's more of an organic thing. If something happens and we need our whānau, we've got the means and ways to get in touch with each other. But we're never far away from each other. Like, I've got a cousin, as soon as lockdown's over, he's like, I'm coming to your house and I'm spending a weekend at the mountain. I'm just done with Auckland. So we we get in touch with each other as much as we can. Well, I was going to say conflict resolution. Right. For in the mahi, different roles you've had, the different groups you're a part of, conflict, and then especially with whānau, oh, yes. conflicts arise. Mm-hmm. It's natural. It's part of our whakapapa. Like, it's going to happen. Some handle that conflict or have systems in place to dissolve it, resolve it more efficiently and effectively than others. I don't know if you could use the sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And <laughs> well, <laughs> it still applies there too. But how do you manage or how do you approach conflict and then resolving it? Mm, it all ooh, it all depends on the day. See, because I'm neurodivergent, so any every day is different. Every conflict is different. Every way I resolve it is going to be different depending on who it is. 
got to say, and this is going to sound really bad, but if you don't, I don't have a strong connection to you, there's going to be no conflict resolution. I'm just like, I don't care. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you drift away. Uh, but if it's somebody I care about, we are having a conversation. Mm. We are talking, and depending on who it is, if it's one of my cousins, it could end up in an argument, but it, it, it all just, because of the way we communicate, it has to come out now or never. Mm. You have to resolve it now forget about it and that's how we resolve it nothing gets held on to no grudges go down the line to be passed on to that person that person the way our whanau and i can only speak for the ohias because the cookers have a very different style of communication but the ohias are very much straight up let's talk about it right now i don't care if you're angry i don't care if you're tired we're going to talk about it and if we have to fight about it we're going to fight about it but we're going to resolve this now and with love with love oh, i mean it's all the same. It comes back to the reason I'm trying to resolve it is because I love you. But if we don't resolve it, then it can build up. And I've seen our whānau grudges build up into something so ugly that it just affects generations of people. So one thing I've noticed, and my cousins are different from my aunties and uncles. This new generation is different. Got to tell you, we're way, way better at communicating. The first cousins, all of us are close and we communicate very well with each other. We don't have raru with each other and if we do it's resolved mm. I don't know what it, when it comes to a, a generation before I don't know what's happening there I stay out of it <laughs> it's none of my business <laughs> and I don't care okay it's well just, maybe leave that to the yeah. listeners if they have anything <laughs> honestly when it comes like it's got to be pick your battles especially mm. when you've got a huge family yeah. so I don't pick the battles with the aunties and uncles and let them resolve that themselves but when it comes to my cousins when it comes to my friends, when it comes to my peers or people I respect, we're sorting it out. Yeah. We have to. And I love that. And I love how you mentioned we're going to resolve this because I love you. Yeah. Because I want to move through this and heal it and carry on. Yeah. We've got things to do. Absolutely. <laughs> the worst fights, like the worst fights I've ever had, like fisticuffs, black eye fights have been with my first cousins. And we've been able to resolve that within a week. You know, so we're going to have blows. You're going to have conflicts. You, but if you care about that person, you've got to really put an effort to resolve it really quickly. Otherwise, it festers, and I've seen firsthand what festering looks like. Yeah, well, that has a fuckapapa. Yep, and it's always yuck. Yuck, and it affects everybody yeah. around it. it. Doesn't just affect the two people who've got the grudge or the one person. It affects everybody. Yeah. So one style of comms that my cousins have learned is. Resolve it now. Yeah. You resolve it now. <laughs> Other people have to remember their, their emotional response to what you said is their responsibility and it's not yours. So Ooh, Yes. Talk to me about boundaries. Yeah. If, if, if you don't like something I've said and you're emotionally reacting to it, by making it my problem, you're shirking your responsibility for your own emotions. I can't control your emotions. I have no control over how you're going to react to anything I say. So... You say what you say and you let the person who you're saying it to deal with the emotion and the response because it belongs to them. And that, that's how I get through it. That's how you can learn to be more straight up is stop worrying about what people, how they're going to respond to you because that's all ego stuff, right? You have to let them respond how they respond yeah. and let them own their own response to it. Okay. So now that we're here, um, <laughs> one of the issues I've had or Um, aversions I've had to saying how I feel or you know bringing the thing up it's like I'm not that kind of person like I want to if I'm gonna bring something up with you I want it to be like a calm thought out response because oftentimes 
I will struggle to find the words. That's why I write mostly. Right, yeah. <laughs> because I can edit it, I can find the thesaurus, and because I want to mean what I say and say what I mean, in the moment, I don't always trust that that'll happen. Mm-hmm. And so do you have any advice I think that? if you're that kind of person that needs to really think about it, writing it is the best way to do it. There's lots of rich forms of comms and poor forms of comms, like texting. You don't want to text somebody something important because all of the nuance can get lost in translation. Yeah. Um, writing a letter, you can get a little bit more across. You can really explain yourself a lot better. And at least with a letter, you know that everything you say is going to get across how you meant it. Mm. So it's a really good way to do it, letter writing. And some people are better read just off the cuff. Like, we're talking about it now. And if I say the wrong thing, bro, it's on you. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so there's all this kind of response. So like, you've got to take ownership. Don't be a dick. Don't drop bombs on people. Communicate in a, in a way that's going to like not make somebody feel bad. But at the end of the day, you can't take responsibility for an emotional response. Yeah. Cause unless you're trying to get an emotional response. Oh, yeah. Loving this and loving where this is going. Especially because like I'm a believer in that. Like You're responsible for how you perceive and receive things. Mm. And if you don't like it, then hopefully we're at a level where we can work it out. Yeah. But that's your responsibility. But I think a lot of people, or maybe a few people who are very loud, use that as an excuse to be a dick. Yeah, totally. They do. So what do you do as the if you're on the receiving end of that? Someone's being a dick and they're like, oh, your emotions or your reaction is your responsibility. You're like my <laughs> big sister. I'm like asking all the worldly questions. Oh, man. <laughs> starting to feel less wise than I did half an hour ago. Oh, man, what do I do when I come across people like that? These ways of figuring out whether they are coming across as a genuine or just fucking like hee hee and just, you mm. know, little, like I said, little signs in their body language and their tone of voice. Are they trying to speak louder? Because that means they're trying to speak over you. So you yeah. kind of just disengage because all you're going to do is get into a shouting match with these people because yeah. all they want to do is be the loudest. If you can either play that game, but um, if you play silly games you win silly prizes. So you can either disengage with these people, but you can also be reading it wrong sometimes. Mm. So it's always, you've got to be careful not to read into something that isn't there. Yeah. So they could be coming across as arrogant, but maybe that's just their style of comms. Yeah. Oh, so many good little taonga for my kite. <laughs> Communication <laughs> at the end of the day, I think ended up being my biggest major. Like, yeah. I majored in film and television, but at the end of the day, comms and communication ended up being the thing I was most interested in if you want a good job I know study comms because comms is needed in every industry every yeah. industry if you can get up and speak you're good at comms mm. do it because there's lots of good jobs out there yeah oh I love it and I think now might be a good segue <laughs> from those quite deep uh kaupapa and we've been yapping for a while now um, good cordial. I go Feels on like it's been yeah, minutes. in 17 minutes. Do you really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, well we better start wrapping this up. <laughs> it's all right. We've done, we've done this before. Me and yeah. Rob's fly on this show. What does that Well, because you've actually got a job to do in 17 minutes. <laughs> I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, so we'll finish with this part-time. We've talked about the whakapapa effect. Mm-hmm. And you've shared beautiful soul soothing, heartwarming, called it all about your crow and your whanau. What effect do you want to have on those around you or on the world? Ooh, that's a good question. That's not one I really think about often either, um, which is funny considering the line of work I'm in. Ironic even. 
Uh, what do I want people? Can you repeat the question? So the show is called The Fuck Papa Effect. We've talked about it in different ways and how your decisions and the generations above you, their decisions have impacted on your life. Mm. What kind of effect do you want to have on others? Okay. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? What kind of, okay. However you hear it. All right, so the kind of, I guess, the kind of impact or legacy I want to leave behind is, wow, man, that question has truly, utterly stumped me. To be thought of as someone who tried to live up to her whakapapa, live up to all the expectations and live up to all of the dreams that they had for us, all of the hopes and wishes that my gra- I know my grandfather had for us, and to hopefully live up to that so that he can be... Not proud, because I know he is proud. He's proud no matter what we do, just by being his cheeky moko, he loved us anyway. I think I just want to be the kind of person that can maybe encompass the same kind of personality traits, same kind of values as my grandparents, all all six of them. Didn't know my first two grandparents at all, never met them, but uh, from the stories I've heard amazing people as well, from Rua Tahuna, so we had Ngā Waiata and Rehua uh, Ken's, Rihu was from Ruatahuna and Ngawaiata was from Tauranga Moana. She was all here as well, my grandfather's sister. So all of those grandparents, just to be able to live up to the kind of people they were. Koro Rihua was a farmer. Nanny Ngawai was an amazing mother. Nanny uh, Tirikawa was all about the marae and tikanga and making sure the marae thrives. My koro was about the real and about justice. Other uh, koro, um, Charlie was about whakapapa. And my grandmother, Sui, was about her garden, her whanau and her hahi. So all of those things I want to be able to live up to, every single one of those things, I guess. That's the legacy only behind. Someone who cares about their whanau, someone who cares about the taiao, someone who's going to leave a lasting impression, I guess. Now that's way fucking cheap. <laughs> I can cut it off to just before that. Yeah, cut it off to whatever you need because I'm like rambling now. I'm like, God, girl, you never thought about this. I never wow. thought about the kind of thing I want to leave behind. Wow, that's so beautiful. And very last question, what is a question that you'd like the listeners, our whakapapa effect whānau, uh, to think about? Hmm. I guess it just comes down to, going back to what we said before, uh, checking in on yourself. Always just checking on yourself. I just... I don't think enough people do it. I don't think enough people are willing to make a self, self-check and self-assess if they're the person that was causing issues, causing varu. We're too busy trying to stand in our own truth, of our own ego to really take that moment. So am I the arsehole? Ask yourself that every day. <laughs> oh, kia ora, Leone. Thank you for being on my show. What a privilege. What an honour. Honestly, I'm still like, why do you, why did you interview me? Like what? But thank you anyway. It's good to see you. If you really want to, you can find me on Instagram under Catch a Fire. So there was always that. So um, that's a public and open uh, platform. And Twitter? No, Twitter's not an open <laughs> platform. Sorry, no, you can't follow me on Twitter. Yeah, and I tried Twitter, but I suck at it. <laughs> oh, Twitter's for me. It's just, it's my favourite platform. And I found a really amazing uh, community of Māori on there that are very political, very engaged, very activated into the communities. And so uh, for those of you who are – because there's no photos, there's no selfies, there's no, like, look at me kind of thing going on there. So it just – it's the platform that makes me feel less self-conscious. <laughs> <laughs>
So good. Oh, thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode number two of season one of the Whakapapa Effect. Kia ora. Catch you on the next one. Hey, kuna.